Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Mushroom Society, we're joined by a Cool Clinic speaker from this past May's Cool Clinic, Craig Doman. And Craig is an NFL agent, he's a speaker, he's an entrepreneur, and he has an intense interest in what it takes to be elite, especially in terms of mindset. And he calls it the pro mindset. That's what he talked about at the Cool Clinic. And so we're going to dig into some of those topics today. So Coach Wiley, Thanks for bringing Craig on, and I know you've known him a while now and have told me quite a bit about him, so I'll let you add to what I've already said. He just loves the game of football. He's been an agent. He's an attorney. He's a high school football coach. He's got two sons that play. One plays for the Indianapolis coach. The other's a quarterback at Louisville. Uh, So he's been immersed in football for years and years and years. And I met him years ago, I believe, I think I was with the Bengals. We've maintained a friendship. I came up uh, the Colorado State and spent some time with him and then was on the sideline of one of his games and watched him call a game. And it's really very interesting and very passionate about the game of football. And he's been doing it for a long time and come up with the football is not only played with the body, physical, but it's also played with the mind. And Greg has a great presentation that he put together all about that. With that all said, take it over, Coach. Well, Craig, hey, thanks for being here with us and taking the time. And I really appreciate all you had to speak about at the Cool Clinic. I thought it was a, you know, a really interesting topic amongst all the X's and O's and techniques that we got into. I do believe, as Bob said, that this is a very important of it. So thanks for taking the time to join us and speak about it. Thank you very much, Keith. Coach Bob, thank you very much. i got to share a quick story about Coach Bob. I think it was roughly about 10, 12 years ago, we came up to Colorado Springs, spent a few days, talked to my team. And the thing that my boys still remember is that Bob was, I think we had a, a false start or something, and he went in the huddle and told the boys, and said, hey, flush it, flush it. And for the rest of my son's careers, they've used that mantra to just be in the moment, forget about what just happened. And I attribute that to Bob. And then the other thing I would say that Bob did was he kind of uh, entertained my son because Bob's a pretty, pretty good card guy, likes to be a musician. 
and entertain my sons at the kitchen table. So both of my boys, now that they're older, one's with Colts and one's now the starting quarterback at Louisville, they, you know, they have fond memories of Bob Wiley. So that's kind of cool. Craig, let's talk a little bit about your start in this intense interest you have in the mindset. How did this all come about for you? It was it basically the genesis of, was survival. When you're in the agent business, you're trying to figure out who to sign, who to recruit. And it blows your mind when you go and, you know, you sit down on draft weekend and you see some kid that you didn't think could play and he gets drafted in the third round. And the kid that you signed doesn't get drafted or vice versa. And you're thankful that you signed the kid you did. And so you build a network of resources with NFL people and the scouts you trust and coaches you trust. And you start seeking input from those guys, but that's not foolproof either. They make lots of mistakes. One of my former clients is an assistant GM today. You know, one year said, you've got to sign this kid from Oklahoma. And he was going to the senior bowl and the combine and all that stuff. And he did end up not getting drafted. And I talked to him right before the draft because the stock just went way down. He says, Craig, you know, once we got to know him, he wasn't the kid that we thought he was. So those kind of situations have driven me basically on a mission to find out what is the differentiator between the guy that's the first rounder that is the face of the franchise that becomes an all-pro Hall of Fame type guy and the guy that's three years later, he's labeled the bust by his own NFL, the team that drafted him. And he was a first rounder. And you got to understand, and you guys know this, NFL teams spend millions of dollars and resources evaluating these players every single year, and yet they can only hit on 50% of the first-rounders and 33% of the first-round quarterbacks. So that was the driver. Now, I know part of this, let's call it your, your lab, in, in figuring some of these things out is you're really estr- extracting some of the things, these patterns that you're starting to find from the interviews you do on the Pro Mindset Podcast. Talk to us a little bit about how the podcast works for you to help you understand, again, what that mindset is of of the elite athlete that you want to be involved with. Through the course of interviewing lots of players and, you know, on my podcast as well, it's just interviewing players in their living rooms and over the phone while I'm recruiting them and then interviewing their college coaches to give me a testimony about their player, and then talking to NFL people about what they think about a player, you start creating labels and categories. And so Bob's been heavily involved in this stuff over the years about, you know, this guy was hungry. You know, this guy had tremendous motivation, those types of things. But I think the thing that I've learned from reverse engineering the successful ones from the ones at Boston is it's much deeper than that. It starts with their identity. Who are they as a man? Who are they without football? And how, how do they handle situations where someone doesn't want them to be successful? How do they handle it when they go from BMOC and they're the best athlete on the field in every game they play in in high school. They get to college, they find a little bit more competition. But on Fridays and Saturdays in college, when they call for the ones, they don't stress out. They know they're just going to walk out on the field. When they, when they drive to the stadium on Saturday afternoons, they're not wondering, am I going to play? They know where, they're going to, where they stand. Then when you get in the pros, everybody's good. Yes, there's a few elite special guys. 
But for the most part, talent is pretty similar. So what is it after that? Can you, can you be successful? Can you perform at a high level? Can you be the best version of you when your coach is favoring someone else in your eyes? It's all perception. Maybe the coach is not favoring anybody, but in your eyes, he's favoring someone else. And so then you get in this battle between, let's say, for example, Keith, you and I are competing for the starting quarterback spot and we're in training camp. I'm watching every rep you do. I'm kind of secretly hoping you throw one in the dirt or throw a pick. You know, I'm hoping just secretly that you get hurt. And then every time you make a bad throw, I'm hoping the coach is watching. And then when you throw a great throw, I'm hoping he's not paying attention. Because I'm competing against you. And it never works. Because then when I get my shot, I get my reps, I've got that bad juju with me. I've got that bad karma because I'm just trying to beat you instead of just be my best and you allow you provide space for you to be your best and let the coach decide whatever he's going to decide. Because if I take that second approach of just focusing on being who I am, what God created me to be and be the best version of me and show up every day for every rep, it's going to work out most of the time. You know what the best is the golfers. The golfers don't compete against the guys they're playing against. They're competing against the course and themselves. So they're just paired up with all the people in the threesome that they put them in a twosome. You know, but they're competing not against the guy that they're that the guy that's on the side of them. They're competing against the course. They're competing against them with themselves against the course. And I think it's very similar to what. Greg's just talking about that you can't worry about anybody else but yourself. That's what it comes down to. you got to worry about how am I going to get better every day? That's the only thing that matters. How am I going to get better? What's going to make me better? What's the motivation or what's the switch that gets turned on that allows me every day to find a way that I'm going to make myself better? Absolutely, Bob. Look at Taylor Heineke at, at the Washington Commanders. You know, that guy started 19 games. He's won 10. He has so much passion and energy in his play. And the, the Commanders are always looking for a franchise quarterback. And he doesn't let that affect him. Because when he gets his opportunities, he capitalizes on them. And apparently starting again this week. But it's like he's a perfect case study for how do you handle it when you're kind of in limbo, because a lot of guys in Taylor's spot, they would crumble. They'd play small, and they wouldn't even be in the league anymore. And in that league, you know, what you said in the beginning, they pay millions of dollars to find out, and, and they, they pay millions of dollars to make mistakes. The money really doesn't become an issue with those guys because there's so much money out there. Yeah, they get a first rounder that they, they it's a bust and they get rid of the guy, or you know they get a third rounder that doesn't work out and they get rid of the guy. They've paid them millions of dollars and they just they really they say and their question their mindset is we're going to flush it with this kid, move on. As a player, you don't have any control of that. The only thing that you have control of, the only thing you have control of is yourself. I would add one more thing, gentlemen, and that is how does the NFL as a, as a whole look at first-round busts, and why are, there, why are there so many? And I've kind of, in my mind, have three reasons why there's so many busts in the NFL. 
Number one is that the NFL people, and I'll call those the GMs, the coaches, the scouts, the owners, all those people, they place too much of an emphasis in the draft process on projections and potential based upon physical measurables, not mental measurables, but physical. The second one is they pay too little attention to the mental makeup during the pre-draft evaluation process. Yes, you know, the Giants have like a 400 page, you know, 400 question personality profile test, but they're not finding out how a young man's going to respond when he's got money, how he's going to respond when his friend calls him up and says, hey, can I move in with you? And now all of a sudden he's, he's got his first member of his posse. And they don't, that's not something that shows up in your personality profile. And then I think the third reason why teams have so many busts in the NFL draft process is that they fail to develop and influence the player's relationship with his dreams, his relationship with his money, his relationship with his success, and monitor his entitlement and help him understand expectations once he gets there. Because there's a tug of war between expectations and entitlement. You get drafted in the first round, expectations go up for the team. What they expect out of that young man goes up compared to if he's a fifth rounder. And guess what? His entitlement goes up because he's a first rounder. He's expecting the red carpet treatment. And those things clash because they don't, they don't coexist because you, you do, you know, that's like having a receiver has alligator arms because he's scared to get hit and doesn't fully reach for the ball. That's entitlement. Well, you, you can't make plays when you have an, a mindset of entitlement. And then I'll never forget, it's been 20 some years ago now, my first guy that got a big contract, I told him the day after he got his contract, I said, you can't go in and do what you did yesterday because now that you're making more money, they expect more out of you. And he didn't quite understand what I meant, but the, he, he figured it out real quick because the expectations went way up. So that's what happened to Josh Allen and, you know, Patrick Mahomes and all those guys. As soon as they get a $500 million deal or $250 million deal, Russell Wilson in, in uh, Denver with $247 million, they don't want the Russell Wilson in Seattle. They want a better version of Russell. They want the $247 million version in Denver. And at this point, he hasn't met those expectations. When you pay those guys millions and millions of dollars, that really has an effect on that. I mean, that kid has, that's a, a world that kids never lived in, right? And his family's never lived in it. No, when that kid gets all that money, there's family members, there's other organizations. Everybody's looking for a piece of all that money that that kid just got. So it's not just him by himself. I mean, everybody's going to try to get a piece of him that they can. So he needs people around him that can take care or deflect a lot of that stuff away from him. And he just needs to focus at the task at hand. You know, my favorite thing is to say, stay in a moment. And, and there's a way that they have to figure out how to get through it. Some of them do, some of them don't. So, Craig, I'm interested in, you know, we do have a lot of high school and college coaches who are listeners on this podcast. And I know you having been a high school coach and obviously having sons, one in college now, one who's been through college, 
understand maybe how some of this applies down the different levels. And, and you said something, I think, important there, that the mental uh, side of things, the mental makeup, uh, isn't valued enough in this process. And I just think back to you know, my days of Division three recruiting and, and, you know, going out to all the one days. Um, and, you know, for the most part, it was just observing and you're watching all the drills. But for me, the most valuable part was when those guys were in line and I could go and talk to them and figure out who this guy was. But um, in, in that regard, you know, looking at it and, and knowing there's various uh, degrees of, of the resources, whether that be the team of people, you know, who are looking at film, film, analyzing, getting all the data to the coach who has to do it alone, you know, the D3 coach who's got to figure it all out or the high school coach who's walking his halls to figure out what, you know, what, what kids in his halls maybe are, are, are they missing on the team. Uh, what kinds of things are you looking for in that regard when you're just looking up at the mental makeup of them and, and projecting success off of that rather than, uh, you know, how, how, how the measurables look physically? Absolutely. I think when I look at Pro Mindset Identity, I've created a, a whole playbook for it, and it's got three, three different components. One is your, your identity story. The second one is your identity channels. And that's what I would focus on if I was recruiting. If I was a college coach, I would want to know what the identity channels of a high school person is. And those are, what is his confidence in his skills? Not to be confused with his belief in who he is as a young man. And the third one is his intentions. And so if you look, if you make a triangle, you've got intentions, belief, and confidence. And to be very clear on what the difference is, intentions are what you care about. It doesn't matter if a guy thinks he, you know, if a guy thinks he's good, if he doesn't care about football. So the love of the game and the passion comes into that intention. So intention has got to be number one, because if he doesn't put, if he doesn't put football before school, before girls, before hobbies, before video games, I don't want him on my team. And I did say that correctly. He's going to college, unless it's division three, he's going to college to major in football. And, and he may end up being a doctor someday, but during that time when he's on scholarship, his focus has got to fall. And then belief in himself to kind of differentiate it from confidence is does he feel like he's worthy? What's his story? What's his relationship like with his father? What's the program, the, the subconscious programming he has? What's the, the mental loop and the message that he t gives himself about who he is? Because when my son went to Nebraska, he was a 99.9. .9. He believed in himself 99.9% .9 of the time. It wasn't until a second ACL and he had to figure out what he might look like without football that he decided it's a choice to believe in himself 100%, bet on himself 100%. And you have to find young men that believe in themselves 100%. And then the confidence part is what all the coaches already know. It's, you know what, you might have a quarterback. He might feel real good about his arm, may not be as confident about his accuracy. He may not be as confident about his pocket presence, but it's like those are things that coaches can impact. Those are things that we can make improvements on the campus, once I get on campus. But the belief, that's so deep, the kid doesn't even know what it is. And his intentions, 
is also deep. He doesn't know, he doesn't even, he doesn't even have awareness that he's putting video games or smoking dope or whatever else he might be doing as a higher priority than football. But I want to know what his intentions are, what his belief is, and, and what his confidence is. And you're going to dig for that stuff. You're going to do your homework as a board agent, as a recruiter, as a whatever. Because when you first meet, they're going to give you their personality. You have to look through the personality to try to find the character of the individual, which is, I believe, is way more important than the personality of the individual. Personality's got something to do with it, right? But they're going to say the right things, and they've been coached up to tell you what they, they believe you need to hear, okay? And you're going to find a way okay, to get passion and get through all that, to get down into the kid's inner passions. You know, I just dissected it into more finer parts, but it's the intangible, it's the character, it's the off-the-field persona, it's all those things. But when it comes down to it, think about how many high school young men strive to get a scholarship. Their goal is to get a scholarship. That's their goal. Their goal is not to play college football. Their goal is not to just make sacrifices once they get on campus. Their goal is to get a scholarship. I don't want that kid on my team. That's not the kid that's going to play for me. Second thing is, is that once they get there, this is the toughest thing for an athlete. When you are accustomed to being as good or better than everybody else you play against. So let's say you're a left tackle. And every defensive end or outside linebacker you get, you have to block. You're equal to or better than. That's easy. You've got to show up. What happens when you play against Chase Young or someone like that when he was at Ohio State? Everybody knows he's better than you. How do you compete then? How do you perform when the guy across from you is better than you? I want to know how the kid's going to play in that situation. And I want to know that before he shows up on campus and I've already given him a scholarship. I need somebody that's going to get better and strive to beat that guy, even though he may be more talented than him. Right. Not only how he plays, but how he prepares to play. He's just as a boy. Do you think today, with especially with social media, Craig, that you mentioned, you know, somebody's intention to get a scholarship? To me, it starts to um, become visible, at least the way I see it, that this kid is in love with recruiting. I'm not quite sure he's in love with football, right? And I, th- I think there's a difference. And you, you I, I, I would, I don't know the math on it, but I'm willing to bet. You find a lot of those guys ending up in the portal. Absolutely. Well, it's, not, it's, not, it's not only the kids, too. You'd be surprised how many parents right, are, in, are in love with the recruiting, where they say, oh, you know, my kid's got 35 scholarship offers, and my kid, blah, blah. And, you know, that kid's sitting in the house, and he, and he hears his parents talking to other people about all that stuff. Well, I think an easy, easy way to discover where a kid's mindset is in that regard, Keith, is when I'm sitting at the living room table or at the kitchen table, sitting in the living room at the kid's house with the parents, I'm going to ask the kids some open-ended questions. Like, hey, let's pretend we're the only school that, you got 35 other offers, but let's pretend that we're the only school that wanted you. How can we serve you? What can we provide for you? What resources, what amenities can we provide you to help you be the best you can be? And see what he says. 
He says, well, you know, I want to make sure the players lounge at a new ping pong table. I want to make sure, you know, these, these frivolous things. I don't want that kid. I want the kid that's, that wants to learn how to be a better football player that, that is thinking about, that has the dream about, of playing in the league. Because if he's dreaming about playing in the league, he's got to put in the work, the effort, the time in college. Or he's not, he knows he's not going to get to the pros. And by virtue of him having a dream of playing in the league and working towards that, the school's going to benefit from that. No, I had a player one time when I was with the Chicago Bears. That kid was a great football player. He really is. He, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame someday. We gave him a big contract. He says, Coach, he says, I would have played if they didn't pay me. That's the passion that kid has for the game. But he just loved to play the game of football. Just loved it. That's the guy you kind of want right there. Absolutely agree with you. Craig, I know in this you, you start with the idea of pro mindset math. And uh, fortunately, it's it's not algebra or trigonometry. I mean, it is simple addition here. But tell us what the pro mindset math is. Pro mindset math is really simple. It is that most people see talent plus hard work as the optimal performance for an athlete. And the pro mindset math is you have to add in that mental element. So that's why when you have... When you factor in the talent, you can have less talent than the guy across the line. You work hard, let's say you have equal work ethic as the person across the line, but you have a better mindset, you're going to kick that guy's ass every time. Every time. And so one of the things I wanted to share, Keith, is that how does this show up on Saturday? How does this show up on Friday night? How does it show up in the games? And what I've learned, and I've learned this over a couple decades here, is how does a guy become combat ready? Because when you show up for a game, it's combat. It's hand-to-hand combat for most positions. And there's five steps to it. And you can't miss one or you won't be ready. You won't be combat ready. The first step is you've got to prepare. Coach Wiley is very... You know, he's the one that got me on unconscious confidence. But when you start looking at preparing, it's not just knowing your playbook. It's not just knowing your opponent. It's not just knowing the game plan the coach is installing for that week. It's also preparing your week in terms of taking care of your body, getting your sleep, your nutrition, taking, if you're in school, taking care of your classes and your tests. It's all, preparation's a lot encompasses everything. And then the second one is practice. You have to practice with game intensity, game speed. Quarterbacks and receivers can't get on the same page when the receivers are running 85% in practice, and then they show up in the game and run 100%, and the quarterback's going behind them. Well, who's surprised? The receiver wasn't running 100% in practice. So you could go through a lot of different scenarios like that, but you have to you have to play the game before the game. Belichick talks about you win the battle before it's fought. A lot of people talk about you complete a pass before it's thrown. You win a game before it's played. Well, that's where you do it in practice so that when you get to the game, it's not different than what you did in practice. And then the third step is you have to make a movie. You have to visualize yourself 
in every situation being successful. And when I talk about every situation, I'm talking about weather. I'm talking about the opponent. I'm talking about down and distance. I'm talking about the place on the field. You might be in the red zone. You might be backed up to your own end zone. I'm talking about, you know, four-minute offense, two-minute. It doesn't matter. You have to visualize yourself and what you're asked to do in every one of those situations, and you need to make yourself the hero of the play. So if you're the right guard, you pancake a kid on a power run. You know, if it's pass pro and it's, a, it's a, some type of uh, stunt blitz, you and the DN is coming around, you don't whiff on that DN because you're helping your, your tackle block the tackle and nobody gets the DN and the DN comes through the A gap and kills your quarterback. No, you make that play. Then the, the fourth one is you have, to, you have to embody who you are. So once you know who you are, which I didn't talk about the story part of it, but you got to bring who you are to the game. So there's a lot of players that show up for the game and they bring their backpacks, duffel bags, call what you want, suitcases, and they don't bring themselves to the game. And that's when you see players go through the motions. So you have to embody who you are in the game. And then the last one is, and this is a, this is a Coach Wiley one, you have to be in the moment. He says, stay in the moment. I'm talking about be in the moment. But be in the moment, it's the same thing. You have to divorce yourself from all past and all future. So here's where the past comes in. You kicked this guy's ass before, so you just think you can show up and you think it's going to happen again. Well, he kicks your ass because you were, you, were, you were connected to what happened the last time you played him. He wasn't, but you were. Well, if you go in and, and you're honest with your game and honest with yourself, you show up for every play, you're not worried about the fact that you beat him, you, you whipped his butt the last time. And then in, t- in terms of detaching yourself from the future is, you know, it's like, uh, I'm going to get scouted by, I'm going to get recruited by colleges. I'm going to potentially be all conference and be all American and get drafted, whatever level you're at, I'm going to get a scholarship. You know, my girlfriend and I are going to fight after the game. My, my grandpa's going to take me out for ice cream, whatever. No, play the play. And then when that plays over, flush it, play the next play. And then at the end of the game, when the clock hits zero and the fat lady sung, let's see what the game looked like. So the reason why quarterbacks can't complete, besides the fact that they, you know, are getting pressure and maybe a receiver will drop the ball, the reason why they can't complete 25 passes in a row, because when we complete seven in a row, a little voice in their head saying, man, you know, you've completed seven balls in a row. Now when they go to get out back on the field and the coach calls a pass play, it's like, the first thing in his head is like, man, I could complete eight in a row. No. Just play the play. Yes, that's the well, most that's- important thing is you know, the most you know, when I talk to players do great I said they talk about the game. I say, I ain't talking about the game. You gotta talk about the first play of the game. A game is just a collection of plays. That's all it is. It's a collection of plays that somebody decided to put a time limit on it. We're going to put this time limit on it. Is it 48 minutes on high schools and it's 60 minutes in college and pro football. They put a time limit on it. But in the course of this time limit, it's a collection of plays played one at a time. And that's all that matters is you play one at a time. Well, and you, you've talked about that a, 
a number of times, coach, and, you know, stuff like what do you tell him between the play and, you know, and looking at the combat readiness. Coach, we know your feelings on, you know, what part stretching plays in that. We've, we've, we saw that all on hard knocks. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in digging in a little bit more on being in the moment. And uh, I have a son who's a baseball player now, right? And so um, a, a lot of this, too, is being able to clear your mind of the distraction, right? Um, you, you can't force these things. You have to be able to, to get into that flow, into that zone, being in the moment, like you said, being able to flush plays and, and move on, focus on the right things uh, in order to be able to execute at a high level, uh, especially as you get into, you know, you're talking the NFL, you're talking you know, FBS football, like you're, you're going to watch tomorrow, Craig. I mean, you know, a lot of people, a lot of noise, a lot of distractions. Uh, you could call it pressure. But what have you found it that the best do in terms of practice of being in the moment, the things that they implement? One of the greatest examples before he starts, like, I don't mean to jump in like this, but Tiger Woods, okay, for years and years and years, was the best, right? I think everybody would agree to that. Jack Nichols is the Absolutely. same. He was the best, okay? All right, but you got to understand when they play the game. He hits a ball and it goes in the woods and it bounces around on the trees and it lands on, you know, and he's going to go find it and it again. Well, he can be as mad as he wants. He gets ready to hit the next shot. His mind is clear of all the other stuff. The only thing he's thinking about is that shot. Well, I got a couple of perspectives, guys. One is that from a golf perspective, there are a million different ways to par a hole. So you hit a long drive. And let's say you duff the next shot and you still part. Okay, if it's part four. And it's like, there's no magic here. It's just taking one shot at a time. And forgetting about, let's say it's a par five, you've hit your drive. It doesn't matter where the ball lands. 200 yards, 350 yards, you know, in the, in the rough, it doesn't matter. Now you've got a par four from that distance and from that location. Can you just focus on that instead of worrying about the fact that you didn't hit your driver as straight and as far as you wanted to? Okay, now I'm going to shift gears to baseball. When it comes to baseball, especially being a pitcher, one of the best ways to be in the moment is to, you know, obviously when you're in the dugout before you go out there, you, you're not worried about what the score is, what the scoreboard says. You're not worried about that, oh, my God, the guy on deck is, hit, is leading the league in the You can't even think about the pitcher or the batter you're playing against, you're pitching against because you're thinking about the dude that's on the on-deck circle. So just focus on the pitch. And the way you focus on the pitch is you, at the end of the day, what you do is you, you put duct tape on that little man voice that's saying, hey, you sure you, should, you sure you should throw a fastball? Make sure you don't throw it down the middle. Don't leave your slider hanging. Whatever that little negative thing is, Put duct tape on that and focus on that one pitch and doing your job on that one pitch. So if, you're, you're, if your goal is to throw a fastball on the outside corner, just have fun and throw it to the, to the catcher's neck because he's going he's gonna to give you the target. And be aware that you do have that little man voice, that inner voice that's saying, 
hey, dude, you don't want to, you don't, hey, the, the manager just sent the pitching coach down to the, to the bullpen to get, to get some of your buddies to warm up. Now you're thinking about the guys, you're pissed off that there's guys warming up in the bullpen. How in the hell are you going to make a good pitch when you're thinking about that? So focus on your job, which is to throw a pitch. Then after that pitch, focus on your next job, which is to, to throw another pitch. So it seems incredibly simple. It's crazy hard because your brain wants to go everywhere else. Well, I, I know there's a lot written in terms of that and being mindful. And um, maybe we could dig into that another time here, uh, something I've been studying quite a bit. But I know to wrap things up here, an important part of this is is the identity story you have. You mentioned it a couple of times, and I want to make sure that we get to that here. Okay. Keith, one thing that just popped in my mind that I've got to uh, address related to being in the moment, especially if your son's a pitcher, he has to take a deep breath between pitches. It changes the physiology of his body. He doesn't pitch anymore. He's a he's a shortstop, but I would I imagine this applies at the plate too. It applies at the in the batter's box. It applies when you're a shortstop. You want to have great reaction time. You got to just take a deep breath before every pitch. If you watch guys, you know, but right before they shoot a free throw in basketball, many times, you know, they've got their little spins, how many dribbles they're going to do, but they take a deep breath. Coaches don't even coach them in doing it. They just do it because it's a natural way to relax. So like my son Brock at Louisville, he takes a deep breath before every snap as a quarterback and he can play free instead of like being stressed out. Okay, so one, one aspect of your identity, gentlemen, is your story. And actually, you have three stories. And one we've already talked about. And that's your real me story. And that's the, that's the, the little voice that comes out in game-defining moments. And the most important moments of a game are right before you're going to ask a girl out. If you're in high school, you're going to ask out on a date. You know, you're, you're in a job interview. Any of those kind of moments that are important that little voice, like in a job interview, I, t- I coach coaches, I represent coaches and I coach them on their interviews with, with, for jobs. And you know, one of the things I always laugh with them about is, you know, a lot of times I'll ask you to tell you about something and you're having two conversations. One is you're answering the question and two is you're having this conversation with this little voice and saying, have I answered what he asked? Do I need to tell him more? Have I told him too much? Should I tell him about this? Is he smiling? Does he like me? You're having, how in the hell can you have a great interview when you're doing two at once? So you've got to have one interview at a time. I could, I'm not doing that right now, but I could. I could be having that same conversation with myself right now with my real me, you know, voice about how am I doing in this, this um, podcast? Thankfully, I'm not until I just thought of it. Okay. The second, <laughs> the, the second, for real, I hadn't even thought about it until we just talked about it. So the second story we all have is our elevator speech. I call it the billboard story. And it's the, and, and honestly, we all have a pretty long billboard story, but we don't tell everybody all of it because nobody wants to listen to all of it. So if you're a high school kid out there and you're getting recruited, and some college coach calls you and says, hey, tell me about yourself. You're not going to tell them everything about yourself. 
You're going to tell them about, you know, how competitive you are. You're going to pick the parts of your story that you feel are important to that person that you're talking to. Well, here's the critical part about your billboard story. You're in control of it. You're the author of it. You get to, you get to change it, improve it, evolve it. And you should. Okay. And then this third story, most people don't know they have. Most companies have mission statements. Very few individuals have identity statements. It's really your contract with your creator. It's why did God bring you on this planet to be born in 1999 to the parents you're with and the location you're with to give you the gifts he gave you to be what you could be. And I think it's important for, you know, athletes, male and female, to understand all three of those stories about themselves. And the third story that I mentioned is the most important one, which is what is your North Star story? What is the thing about you that you believe that allows you to make the decisions that you make? So if you get drafted in the first round and you don't even have a North Star story, Every time somebody proposes something to you, you have to think about it and you have to ponder the pros and cons. But if you know who you are and you know what you stand for and you know what your purpose on the planet is, somebody says, hey, man, let's go do this. You're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. You don't have to. There's no hesitation. There's no peer pressure. There's no temptation because you know who you are. So as a recruiter, college coach, pro coach, high school coach, I want to know what my, my player's North Star story is, even though he doesn't probably know what it is. But I'm going to help him figure it out. Because once he figures that out, then I have predictable behavior. I have somebody that's reliable and consistent. If he doesn't have that figured out, which way is the wind blowing today? What kind of mood? What's he feeling like today? Because that's what he's going to go. That's where he's going. That's what he's going to do. That's it. Craig, if our listeners want to get more of this, where do they go? How can they listen to your podcast? Well, I've got a, I've got a podcast that you can find at promindsetpodcast.com. And it's everywhere, just like your all's podcast is, you know, Apple, wherever you find podcasts, I can be found. I've taken a, taken a little bit of a hiatus from my podcast so I can write my uh, Pro Mindset Playbook book that Bob suggested I write. And so I'm about 50% done with that. Yes. About 50%, 60% done. I need a copy. I need a hundred thousand copies of that book. (laughs) (laughs) And so the other thing that I've got going on is I do pro mindset coaching and in the pro mindset coaching program, basically you can send me an email at Craig at pro mindset playbook dot com and let me know you're interested and I can send you a I can send you a link to sign up. But basically I coach I coach coaches and I coach athletes and I coach a few businessmen on being the best version of them so that they can have a pro mindset. And I didn't cover one of the parts of it today and I don't need to, but it's it, I'll just mention what it is. Besides identity and being combat ready you have to have lifestyle systems. And if you've got lifestyle systems, your lifestyle systems are right, 
and you got the right identity and you're combat ready, watch out. That's how my, that's how my two boys that are from me, I mean, they're, I'm not special. I'm not a six, five. I didn't run a four, three have made it as far as they have. And I'm not discounting their athleticism. It's because they're strong. They're so strong minded in terms of dealing with adversity, dealing with all the stuff, all the obstacles that you get, all the doubts you have, all the fears you have, all the being over-recruited, over-drafted, all the things that happen in sports and still come out victorious is because of what's between your ears. That's some great information today, Craig, and I definitely appreciate you taking the time. Certainly would love to dig in some other topics when you have the time, maybe when you're done with your book, we could come back on and promote that as well. But uh, we loved having you here. And again, thank you for spending time with us. I appreciate it, Keith. I appreciate it, Coach. It's always a pleasure. Always, I always enjoy talking with you. There's a number of phone calls that we've exchanged over the years. It's, it's always been a pleasure uh, and being your, being your friend, it, it really uh, is enlightening to hear uh, how you uh, put this all together and helps people. Thank you for joining us. Hey, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. And I'd be happy to be on again. Go Cardinals and go Colts this weekend. And you guys have a blessed day.